All right, back here on the Rich Keefe Show. Mark Dondero in for Rich. WEEI 617-779-7937 is the phone number. Let's get back to the emails. Uh, Mike in Saugus writes in, whose impact on the city of Boston do you believe was more significant? Larry Bird's tenure with the Celtics or David Ortiz's with the Red Sox? Um, so obviously I wasn't around for Bird. I mean, I was. I just don't remember it. I was too young. Um, that's a brutal question. I'd have to say, I'd have to go with Larry Bird. And the reason I'm going with Larry Bird is because he did it all. He was, you know, correct me if I'm wrong. He was the last person to win the MVP. What was it in back-to-back seasons since LeBron James and Michael Jordan and Larry, they're the only three to have done that. I think there's some stat. Larry Bird was a league MVP. David Ortiz never did that. Larry Bird led the Celtics to multiple championships. David Ortiz did that. The the edge you could give David Ortiz is that he actually, you know, David Ortiz actually slayed the ultimate dragon in helping the Red Sox come back from, you know, down 0-3 to the Yankees, and then in 0-4 winning the World Series, and then winning two more World Series after that. I mean, the Red Sox were mired in... Being a loser, basically, until Ortiz got there. And so, to, hell, to slay that dragon is huge. So for Larry Bird, he won three consecutive NBA is MVPs. Three consecutive NBA three. MVPs. Okay, so that's what it is. I think he's the last person to do that. I don't think anybody's done that since. Not Jordan, not LeBron. I don't even know if anyone else has done it. Maybe Bill I mean, Russell back in the day. Man. That's that's. He was atop his sport, and a lot of people would say, you know, not a lot of people. Some people would argue he was the greatest player of all time. Some people would argue. I wouldn't argue that. Some people would. Nobody would argue that for David Ortiz. Nobody would argue he's the greatest baseball player of all time. That's why I got to give the edge to Larry Bird. Even though Ortiz was huge for the Red Sox, huge for the culture, and everything else that he did in association with helping them get over the hump and winning the clutch hits, the big moments, everything that you want. You know, he was basically the Tom Brady for the Red Sox. I got to give the edge to Larry Bird because of the all-time greatness, the MVPs, and winning multiple championships, and coming through in the finals, and the way he did it, the way he looked doing it, all the highlights, all, you know, the skill, everything. Um, I don't think it would have been as close if you asked Bird versus Tom Brady, but Bird versus Larry, uh, Bird versus David Ortiz, both won three championships. I think you can have that conversation. I'm just going to go with Bird. I also think there with the Celtics, if you look at it, if they don't win those championships that Larry Bird won in the 80s, the Celtics are going to be considered kind of like a laughing stock franchise. Like, oh, you won. There was, you know, eight teams in the league. That's right. That's how people are going to look and at it. And you had Bill Russell. It certainly legitimized. Uh, the organization, and really, you know, in a bit, and another reason, you know, just big picture, it helped save the NBA. You know, what he did with Johnson, Larry, uh, Larry Bird versus Magic Johnson, all those battles with the Lakers, and in what was, in a way, a golden era of the of basketball and NBA basketball, and what it became. You know, Larry Bird and Magic Johnson. There was a gulf there before them, and then after them. 
it immediately started rocking. Michael Jordan, you know, Kobe Bryant, LeBron James, and everybody in between, the Tim Duncans and all those things, where in the 90s, some people would say that was the greatest era of NBA basketball. You know, I don't know if I agree with that. You know, Shaquille O'Neal would say that. But you can make the argument that in the 90s, you know, the, the league was in a pretty good place with Jordan and the way they were allowing the teams to play and the players to play. Um, but he did so much for the league. I don't know what David Ortiz, what Ortiz did for the league. I'm sure he did. He had contributions to the league. Um, you know, he was a huge presence in the league. But it wasn't to what Larry Bird was to basketball. And with the three MVPs and the finals and everything associated with him, the commercials and just the different things, um, Bird is the answer to that question for me. Thanks for writing in, Mike, and Saugus. Um, trying to buy a Tom Brady baseball card here. There's one on eBay. I've been trying. I mean, they're so damn expensive. The base cards can't be. I mean, they're just so expensive. Oh, it just went up. See, now I'm out. it's out of range again. Damn it, Nico. Did you see his um, Instagram post they have with the Montreal Expos? Yeah, I mean, it was brilliant. That's why they're so freaking expensive. There's no real—I mean, people are paying more for the damn, you know, gimmicky baseball card than some of his actual football yep. rookie cards. That's insane. And these are base cards. They're not autos. If it was an autograph, all right, I get it. It's a fun little base. And he's got his autograph. No, these are base cards. I think in a few months, they're going to be like 100 bucks. This one now, again— $44 shipping, $560, and there's still three minutes to go. I'm not paying more than $500. I'm not paying $500 for a base baseball card of Tom Brady. Come on. Get that ish down. All right. Um, to, you know, obviously we don't know what's going to happen with Bill Belichick, but part of this process, and that we're going to enjoy this process, if it is the end, we're going to look back at all the good times. So I have a list, a compiled list of the top ten moments. Now, we're going to get it all done tonight. Um, but throughout the course of the week, I'm in here on WEEI. Um, we'll get it done, and we'll do maybe 10, 9, and 8 tonight, okay? We'll go throughout the rest of the week, and I'll keep updating you on what the list is. But the 10th best moment in the history of Bill Belichick with the New England Patriots from 10 to 1, obviously 1 being the most important. Number 10, the on to Cincinnati press conference. Now, the press conference has had to be represented somewhere on this list. But the On to Cincinnati press conference not only was a notable, noteworthy moment in the history of Bill Belichick press conferences, as cantankerous as he ever is or ever was, um, you know, it, you know, it, it embodied everything that he always was with the media. Angry, snarky, all the things. He didn't answer the question, didn't want you to ask the question. All of those things coming to a head in that one moment. But it also represented a very key time in Patriots history as they immediately turned it around. We're on to Cincinnati, and guess what? They were on to Cincinnati. They ended up, if you recall, coming off of that loss and that all the speculation that came out of that Kansas City meltdown to go into that game against the Bengals, who at the time, if you remember, I believe were 3-0 and at that time. They were, you know, the Bengals weren't ever good, but in that moment, they were good. They were 3-0. and I think Andy Dalton was playing well. They had A.J. Green. They had some guys. They were playing very well. Came into Gillette Stadium Sunday night. Got their doors blown off. The press conference is sort of what started that whole week, and it was a huge moment. It's one of the signature moments of Bill Belichick press conference lore. That is the number That is the number 10 moment for Bill Belichick. On to Cincinnati press conference. The number 9 moment. 
in the top 10 moments of Bill Belichick's time with the New England Patriots? The game plan he orchestrated during the 2018 AFC Championship game against the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, was it a masterpiece? It was not. Because in the second half, the Chiefs really found a rhythm and they, you know, almost won the game, maybe should have won the game. But what they were able to do in the first half, shutting out Pat Mahomes after the year he had in Kansas City, it was just enough and it allowed for the Patriots to have just enough time to create enough offense where they were able to win that game. It was that first half game plan that shut down Mahomes and it stymied them just enough, the Chiefs, where the Patriots were able to create enough momentum in the second half, make enough plays, and ultimately win it in overtime. But that first half plan that that really got and messed up Mahomes, that was the biggest thing, arguably, that we saw during that entire run. Shutting out Mahomes in the first half. There were huge plays made by Tom Brady, the third downs in overtime, the drive obviously in overtime, the three third and longs, that was one of the best moments in the history of the Patriots' run. But from a Belichick perspective, what he did, um, what he did in terms of shutting down Mahomes in the first half was huge. They were on a tear that year. They were loaded. Hill, Watkins, Kelsey, I mean, all their guys in their prime, hard man. I mean, they had everybody then. And he shut them down in the first half, and that helped them get to the point where they were able to win that game. That's the ninth. That's the ninth spot. That's in the ninth spot here on the list of top ten Bill Belichick moments. And number eight, drafting Rob Gronkowski. Now, Rob Gronkowski wasn't the most important person, obviously, um, in the Patriots dynasty. They won a Super Bowl without him. One of the most historic Super Bowls. And they beat the, the Falcons. He wasn't even there. They lost the Super Bowl when he balled out, when he was, you know, at his best against the um, the Eagles. One of the best performances he ever had. They didn't win that game, but the fact this that guy did so much for the organization during the time he was here. He was such a security blanket for Tom Brady. He made maybe more importantly, he kept Brady happy. I always compared Rob Gronkowski most closely to Terrell Owens. Terrell, Terrell, Terrell Owens. I don't know what happened there. That was the comp for me. Rob Gronkowski, Terrell Owens. That's what I saw, when, especially after the catch. Gronk running with the ball reminded me so much of Terrell Owens. And Gronk had the best. Obviously, he could block. Obviously, he could run. But his hands were as good as anyone in the NFL. Nobody ever talks about that. He had one of the best sets of hands catching the ball in the NFL. Drafting him, he had all the back issues. He fell to the second round. A lot of people, including people here in the Boston media, scoffed at the pick. That wasn't the the sole reason you were able to get back to a Super Bowl-level team and win Super Bowls with Tom Brady, but it was a damn big reason. He was a huge part of the weapon that you needed, you know, the weapons that the NFL turned into where you needed weapons, you needed pass-catching weapons to win at the highest level. He was a big reason why the Patriots were able to get back there because he was such a big-time threat. He was such a weapon for Tom Brady. So drafting Rob Gronkowski, especially after the injuries, you took a flyer on him. I mean, and it worked out, and he'll be in the Hall of Fame, obviously. So the top, so 10, 9, and 8. On a Cincinnati press conference, shutting down Mahomes in the first half of the 2018 AFC Championship game, and drafting Rob Gronkowski. 
those are the three top, you know, not the the first three on the top ten list. Maybe tomorrow we'll do seven, six, and five as it gets juicier because there's other big moments. Some you can predict, some you're not going to think about. Some that are very overrated, some that are overlooked, and one in particular that if it didn't happen, I'm not sure the Patriots would have won another Super Bowl after that first dynasty expired in the early 2000s. We all forget about this. But if this thing didn't happen, and we'll get to this eventually, they might not have won another Super Bowl. And it was close to falling apart. This whole thing was close to falling apart. It's fascinating um, to think about. So we'll get back to this list. Um, we can do another email here. When we get back after trending, I want to I, I got to just say something about the Boston Red Sox and one of the fears I have um, on the Red Sox. And we can get back to some Patriots too. 617-779-7937. We'll reset. We'll talk about why this uh, needs to be the end for Bill Belichick. And I'll reiterate what we talked about earlier in the show in terms of coming to the end of the line here for Bill and Foxborough. This is the Rich Keith Show. Mark Dondero in for Rich on WEEI. Now let's try. It's the Rich Keith Show on WEEI. Save us as a favorite on the Odyssey app and take Boston Sports Original everywhere you go. All right, back here on the Rich Keith Show, final hour. Mark Dondero in for Rich. Um, 617-779-7937. Some breaking news here, Nico. Sort of. Rodney Harrison has been named the finalist for the Pro Football Hall of Fame again. I think that was announced within the last hour or so. Um, And I'm just going to say this about Rodney Harrison. This would be borderline malpractice if the Pro Football Hall of Fame does not vote for Rodney Harrison, or the people that vote for this don't vote in Rodney Harrison. Get his ass in the Hall of Fame. This is a joke. Rodney Harrison, okay, do you know who in the NFL in terms of defenders have in their careers 30 interceptions and 30 sacks? There are two men. Do you know who those men are? One is Rodney Harrison. The other is Ray Lewis. They're the only two that have 30 interceptions and 30 sacks. That, to me, is like a baseball player if there were two of them that had 500 home runs and 500 stolen bases or whatever is equivalent to that, 600 and 600. That, from a defensive player perspective, is as good as it gets. Turn the ball over, sack the quarterback, pressure the quarterback, everything you want to do as a defense is encapsulated in that statistic right there, and they're the only two guys. And Ray Lewis was arguably one of the best defensive players of all time, maybe the best linebacker of all time, maybe. He's probably on the Mount Rushmore of linebackers, if not on the Mount Rushmore of defensive players of all time. And you share a stat with him and only him. It's ridiculous. Also, John Lynch, great safety, should be in the Hall of Fame and is in the Hall of Fame. Not a greater safety than Rodney Harrison. Okay? John Lynch despite playing 38 less games, Harrison played 38 less games than Lynch. Harrison had 34 interceptions to Lynch's 26. He had 30 sacks or 30 and a half sacks to Lynch's 13. And he has multiple defensive touchdowns. I think it's four to Lynch's zero. And by the way, Rodney Harrison 
two-time Super Bowl champion. I know Lynch won the Super Bowl, but Harrison has some plays to back it up. He has the visuals to back it up. I didn't watch all of John Lynch's career. Nothing against John Lynch. He should be in the Hall of Fame. But I don't remember any specific plays he made in the biggest moments. Rodney Harrison has one of those defensive touchdowns, was a key interception in the AFC Championship game against Ben Roethlisberger and the Steelers. He made another key interception against the Colts in the playoffs. I forget if that was the AFC Championship or Divisional. He played his best in the biggest moments. He was a part of the greatest dynasty in the history of football and a team that was known for their defense. He was a big part of the identity of that team. It would be a farce if Rodney Harrison isn't elected into the Hall of Fame now. It should have already happened. It has to happen this year. Get Rodney Harrison into the Hall of Fame for pro football players now. That's what I have to say about that. I mean, there's other very qualified candidates. You know, nothing against any of these guys. Antonio Gates is a Hall of Famer. He's a finalist this year. Um, Who else? I would put Julius Peppers in the Hall of Fame. 100%. You know, Torrey Holt, I'd have to look at the stats, but I bet you probably could make an argument for him. Same goes for Andre Johnson. You could probably make an argument for him based on the stats. How about Patrick Willis? Is he going in the Hall of Fame? There's an argument. Here's another guy I'd absolutely absolutely should put in the Hall of Fame. Dwight Freeney should be in the Hall of Fame. Guy was a terrorist. He terrorized quarterbacks. Um, the, the guy you're going to lose me on who's a finalist, and I'll warn you right now, I'll lose my collective-ish if this guy gets into the Hall of Fame. Not that he's not deserving, okay? And nothing against Matthew Slater. I love Matthew Slater. He's my favorite Patriot. Devin Hester's a finalist, and if he gets in, I'm going to have a big problem because there is no world where Devin Hester should be in the Hall of Fame and Julian Edelman should not. There is no... I don't care. Edelman never made a Pro Bowl, and I know that's one of the things that's going against him. Rodney Harrison, by the way, two-time first-team All-Pro, only a two-time Pro Bowler, though. um, Aside from the fact he didn't make a second-team All-Pro in 2004, but didn't make the Pro Bowl. But getting back to what I was saying, Edelman was far and away the better football player than Devin Hester. He could return punts. Hester only returned punts, and he didn't do anything as a receiver. Edelman was one of the best playoff receivers of all time. Doesn't have the regular season stats. Was never in a pro ball. That means nothing. But he'll probably never get into the Hall of Fame, which is okay as long as Hester's not in. So my argument is I think they both belong in the Hall of Fame. Sure. Because Devin Hester, best return man, and for me it's not close. It, That's it, fine. So I think they both have a place. I, I would Special teams is a third of the game. I think there's a place for guys like Devin Hester in it. So I think Hester belongs in there. But I also believe Julian Elman for what he did in the playoffs. I mean, we're talking about, you can make the argument, Elman's second best playoff wide receiver behind Jerry Rice. He's in all now, the stats. Now Kelsey has sort of eclipsed him. But, but you're still, right. you're talking about top three I playoff totally receiver. I totally agree. That's a great point. I, I'm not trying to downgrade Hester. He was so good as a special teams player, he should be considered, and he could even get in. But you can't have him in and not Edelman. It has to be you both. You have to find a way with Edelman. You count some of the things he did on special teams. You certainly elevate what he did in the playoffs and make that a central part of the argument. And you can talk about some of the regular seasons. Yeah. So he was never an all-star. I don't give a crap. You cannot have, and I know Hester could be an all-star because you're a special teamer, so you can go as that. You've got to find a way. If Hester gets in, 
the better football player was Julian Edelman. Football. Any idiot would rather have Edelman on the team than Devin Hester for the wide range of things he could do. And he was damn good returning punts. Wasn't as good as Hester, but damn good returning punts. You have to, from a football, just for the sake of the the sanctity of the sport of football, you cannot allow Hester to get in with respect to Hester and not have Julian Edelman in. That's all I'm going to say. I mean, the Hall of Fame is meant for legends, and you can't tell the story of the NFL without talking about Julian Edelman and his part in it because he played a massive role. He's got a Super Bowl MVP, too. So you can't take that lightly. You have to give him credit for the playoff performances. Right. He has to be in there. So stupid that they don't elevate a guy's resume. Especially, you know, I'm not saying, you know, if you want to put Robert Ory in the Hall of Fame because of a couple big shots, that's different. Robert Ory was never finals MVP. You know, this guy for multiple seasons was huge in the playoffs. He was the author of some of the biggest plays ever made in the Super Bowl. I mean, that you got to factor that in. And it wasn't just once or twice. Like, he continued to show up. You know, figure out a way to, to you know, you could, based on the stats, you can maneuver through the stats any way you want to make your point. Figure out a way, Hall of Fame committee, to say he was worthy of Hall of Fame consideration despite the fact that someone, he never went to a Pro Bowl. Or, or downgrade the Pro Bowl. Who cares? You can't have Hester in without Julian Edelman. I mean, the Pro Bowl's also, like, fan voted, too. Like, Mitch Trubisky and Mac Jones have been in it. Right. Now, I was a believer in both of those guys, so maybe has, I'm not Has I'm Trubisky not the guy. been in the Pro Bowl? Trubisky made the Pro Bowl, yeah. Oh, my God. It was right. his first year. I, it was that year that the Bears went to the playoffs, the double doink against oh, Philly. Oh, yeah, 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 okay. The same year Philly won the Super Bowl. But, yeah, he's been there. Mac Jones has been there. So, you can't put a lot of stock into the Pro Bowl. At the end of the day, I think what matters the most is what you do on the biggest stage. On the biggest stage, Julian Elman was there at the forefront every single time. It's just a shame because, you know, again, we look at guys that, you know, we're talking about the Celtics, and we look at guys that they, they fill up the stat sheet, but in the playoffs, there's question There was never question marks with Julian Edelman in the playoffs, ever. Never. And he might not have filled up the stat sheet. I mean, he had some good years. Um, you know, not on the level of Devin Hester. Like, Devin Hester had 14 punt return touchdowns. Julian Edelman had four. Like, it's not on the same level. But, you know, the, the receiving yards aren't even close. You know, Edelman doubled Hester in receptions, receiving yards, and rece- in, in receiving touchdowns. Doubled. So, like, and that's not even factoring in any of the uh, playoff things he did. Hester going in is solely as, like, a return. return. And it has to be that Well, you're going to talk about, I mean, we're going to have the same conversation when Matt Slater gets consideration. 100%. Yeah, like, Matt, was Matt Slater really more impactful to the Patriots than Julian Edelman? You know? No. You can't say, that's awkward. How can that be, how could you put him in just because the position he played and say, I mean, he just, the guy straight up wasn't more impactful than Julian Edelman. He just wasn't. So that's, I mean, whatever. We're not going to argue about that all night. I'm just saying th- that's a thing. Um, so I just want to get that off my chest in terms of the Hall of Fame and what we're talking about. We started the show with the Bill Belichick stuff, and... 
you know, in case you missed it, Bill Belichick, it, it just has to be the time. And we've seen it before. And, I, and maybe the biggest reason, forget about the performance, forget about where they are, forget about how they've looked and some of the things that they've had happen over the last few years that have really been disgusting and have ma- it made all of us puke or fall asleep on the couch during a 1 o'clock game, whatever it is. It's just as simple as Bill Belichick was never suited for this role. Bill Belichick was a master of getting the Patriots over the top. Now, did he luck out with Tom Brady, as one of the texters alluded to? Maybe. But I don't care because once he got Tom Brady, he made every right decision, and it wasn't an easy situation to to maneuver through. He made every right decision. And, I mean, I... From this perspective, Nico, you look so much like Adam Jones. It's messing me up. You look exactly like Adam. It's like, why is Adam Jones behind the glass? The Dark Knight. Oh, my God. Everyone could see this. I, I just think, based on what Bill Belichick did and what his strengths proved to be, that's as much evidence as you need to move on. Everything else just reinforces that where the Patriots are as a whole right now, how far they've fallen, the lack of discipline, some of the mishaps and and the mistakes in terms of um, building the team through the draft and drafting guys and some of the free agents he brought in that didn't work out and all the above. Quarterback, the lack of a plan, coaching fiascos, the time since Tom Brady left and where they are now. The age in which Bill Belichick, you know, he's, he's going to be 73 or whatever it is. It's just gotten to the point where it's time. And it should be okay. I don't see how you can sit around and say, yeah, maybe we should do this again. Or maybe they need more time to come up with a backup plan. It doesn't take a lot to come up with a backup plan. I mean, Robert Kraft, Jonathan Kraft... I'm sure they've had a short list of names, you know, a short list of names of coaches that they've always sort of had at the back of their mind. You know, you're allowed to look at the menu. You just can't order. I'm sure they've looked at the menu. They know who's out there. They know they've had conversations. They're connected. They're not dumb people. Robert Kraft, one of the best owners ever in sports. And based on all the reporting that's been out there, it sounds like they're making, you know, they're doing the right things. Now we'll see how that all comes to fruition at the end of the season. When push comes to shove, that's the big test. But all I'm saying is we need to figure out what's next. And that process better have started um, if you're Robert Kraft and Jonathan Kraft. It sounds like it has. But you got to get to a point where you're able to look at whatever is on your short list and begin the process of executing. Okay, because this team needs the guy that can build it up again. Even, you know, people talked about the five-year plan, the 10-year plan. Maybe, you know what, it's going to be that long. I don't know. It doesn't have to be. Or, you know, you're replacing a legendary head coach. Who are you going to get? Well, that question is valid. And guess what? Maybe the guy you get isn't the one that's going to bring you back to the promised land. 
But that's okay. Because maybe like we saw with the Patriots the first time around, or what we're seeing with the Celtics now, and again, that's not necessarily head coach, but maybe the guy you get now is the guy that's able to help build it up, and if it doesn't work out, maybe the next guy gets you over the top. It worked with the Patriots. It's working with the Celtics. Baseball and and hockey, not exactly the same sport, just because the way the draft works isn't the same. You know, when you get drafted into the NHL or into Major League Baseball, where do you go? You go to the minors. You know, you don't really, there's Theo, and he can build it up through the draft to create a farm system and a pipeline and all those things. But it's not like the NBA where you basically go straight to the show if you're one of the top guys. Or the NFL where you go straight to the NFL. There's no minor league. I mean, college football is going to become the minor leagues, but there's no pro minor league, really. Okay, so if you're in those sports, we just saw it with the Patriots 20 years, 25 years ago. We're seeing it with the Celtics right now. It can happen again. It's going to take time. Obviously, it was going to take time. Belichick was a freaking legend. 20 years, he sustained that success. Six Super Bowls, Brady, managing the greatness all that time. He was able to do what Bill Parcells wasn't able to do. We're not here to, you know, litigate Bill Parcells' career. But I think there's a lot of people that would right now rather have Bill Parcells than Bill Belichick. Myself included. Right now, for what this team needs. But with that being said, who the hell knows if Bill Parcells would have won a Super Bowl if it wasn't for Bill Belichick? We have no idea. Maybe he wouldn't have been able to get that team over the the hump because we saw it with the Patriots, with the Jets, close but no cigar. Patriots, uber talented roster, couldn't get into the Super or couldn't get over the hump in the Super Bowl. Jets made it to the made it to the AFC Championship game. And we actually have an email that after the break I'm going to answer this question because it fascinates me. Thank you to everybody that's emailed in. Mark.Dondero at odyssey.com. A lot of emails. We're going to answer one more before the night's over because the question fascinates me. Bill Parcells had trouble finishing the job. Even with Dallas in the early 2000s. They were good. You know, and you could argue maybe he just never had the quarterback. He had Quincy Carter and Vinny Testaverde. Dallas was good. They didn't get close. They didn't win at all. He always had trouble finding a way to get over the hump, aside from those Giants years when he had Bill Belichick as the defensive coordinator, the genius making those play calls and doing what he needed to do on defense. I mean, they carried him off the field after one of those games. That's how impactful he was. Now, maybe they would have won without Belichick. I don't know. But what I do know is Bill Parcells was a damn good coach. He should be in the Patriots Hall of Fame. But he did have trouble post-Giants getting those good teams that he would build up over the hump. Maybe it's just because he never had the quarterback, which is his fault, you know, to a large degree. Or maybe it's just because, I don't know, he had, there was something missing there via his own coaching ability that just didn't allow for that part of the deal to get sealed. Belichick was able to take what Parcells did and got them over the hump. It worked for the first 
dynasty with the Patriots. It's working for the Celtics. You might have to do it again. Even if the next head coach doesn't become a legend, maybe he's the guy or this next GM that you're going to get to replace Belichick will be the guy that helps them build it up so the next coach or the next person can put him over the top. That's what you have to do when you rebuild. And guess what? The time is now. Top pick. The the program has totally eroded. You've had long enough since Brady. He's north of 70. It's time. Figure it out. Move on. Because the time has come. And we think that the Crafts, watching the way this thing has been trending, are prepared to make those types of moves. I think so. I think it's going to happen, and based on the reporting, it feels like that thought is being backed up. We'll have to wait and see. You know, I would love to see. I I, I hate the fact that they've kind of put themselves in this position because I would love to see Belichick go out a winner against the Jets. That'd be such a great way uh, to end his career with the Patriots if he could beat the Jets one more time and stick it to them. But if it's going to cost me a top four pick or a top five pick, I can't have it. So I'll have to root for them to lose. I wish they were more entrenched in the first pick. Then I could; it would almost be a, like old times. I could root for a genuine win that would mean something. But they can't. They have to get that pick. They cannot fall out. At least they can't fall away from Jaden Daniels. I mean, at worst, you have to be in play for him. I'm not the biggest believer, and maybe tomorrow night we'll talk more about that and, and the prospect of Daniels as he surges up people's boards. But you need to be in the top four. You can't fall out of the top four, and you got a lot of teams that are nipping at your heels. The Giants, um, a few of those teams are right there with one more win than you have. You got to find a way to stay in the top four. All right, we'll answer one more email when we get back. This is the Rich Keefe Show. Mark Dundero in for Rich here on WEI. It's the Rich Keefe Show on WEEI. WEEI. Save us as a favorite on the Odyssey app and take Boston Sports Original everywhere you go. All right, back here on the Rich Keefe Show. Mark Darnero in for Rich. There's some audio slave for you. Let's go. Yeah, if I'm making an all-time band, I probably have Cornell as the singer. You know, I probably go Kirk Hammett on guitar. Maybe Dave Grohl on drums. Something like that. But Cornell was something else. I feel like you got to find a way to get Eddie Vedder in there with him, though. Yeah, that's true. That's true. He was something else, too. Um, Never seen them live. Never seen them live. You want to know an interesting fact about me? I'm all here. I don't know if I should admit this. But as a fan, okay, I've been to more kid rock concerts than Patriots games. As a fan, I've covered the – well, I covered the Patriots. I was a beat reporter for the Patriots, so I've been to a million games. But as a fan, I've been to more kid rock concerts. Kid rock's awesome live. Um, you know, his music is what it is, but a live show, it was, all, and I went to his, one of his shows I went to was during the, the era of, you know, at, in his heyday, ball with the ball, cowboy, it was like that summer. That's awesome. When you can go to a concert during the band's hey, like we saw Elton John a few years ago, obviously not his heyday. If you saw Elton John in 1978 or something. Or if you saw um, Guns N' Roses in 1989, 
that's something else. Seeing Kid Rock in 99 was pretty sweet. All right, let's get one more email in. Ray in Jamaica Plain writes in, what's a bigger what if in sports? Michael Jordan having not retired in 1993 for the Bulls or Peyton Manning not declaring for the 1997 NFL draft? As enticing as it would be to say Jordan and could the Bulls have won eight straight championships? I mean, that would have been interesting. It would have changed the legacies of him. You wouldn't even have a debate if he continued to do I bet they would have won at least one of two. You know, maybe Shaq would have gotten them with the, with the magic one year. Or maybe, you know, that's hard to win four or five in a row. One year they might have had an injury or something might have gotten in the way. But the answer to this question, Peyton Manning not declaring for the 1997 NFL draft. And Gary Myers wrote about this in one of his books. I forget which one. Maybe it was Brady versus Manning. Came out about five, seven years ago. Not five. It was more than five years ago as a writer. I mean, I was a reporter for the Patriots back then. But all based on what Myers wrote, all Manning had to do, check that, all Bill Parcells had to do was assure Archie Manning and Peyton that the Jets were going to take him. And that's, by all accounts, what their intention was. They were going to take Peyton Manning. But Bill didn't want to give them the assurance before the draft. They didn't get the assurance. Peyton loved college and was like, all right, I'll go back. You know what? I'm kind of, he was kind of leaning, you know, he was on the fence. When they didn't get the assurance, I think some doubt crept in. He went back to Tennessee. Could you imagine if in 1997, now keep in mind the New York Jets went to the AFC Championship game in 1998, the next year, with Vinny Testaverde. Can you imagine if the Jets drafted Peyton Manning in 1997, one overall, how that would have changed not just the Jets organization, football, the NFL, Brady, Belichick. I mean, it could have theoretically been Brady and Belichick and Manning and Parcells in the same division for years. Bill Parcells might have coached the Jets for 20 years, for 15 years. He could have stayed in New York. They would have won Super Bowls with Manning, Parcells and Manning. Oh, that might have been the guy that got him over the hump. We just talked about the quarterbacks. You know, Vinny Testaverde, he had those quarterbacks back in yesteryear with the Giants, but it was defense that won the day back then. Quincy Carter, he never had the dude. Manning obviously would have been the dude. You already had Keyshawn Johnson. You drafted him one overall. You had a defense. That defense that year in 98 was awesome. You know, they gave the Broncos a run for their money. You had a weapon. You had other guys, Wayne Krebet, Kyle Brewer, whoever was on the team. If you had Manning, oh, my God, what the Jets could have been. That, that, that is a nauseating. Forget about Belichick and the napkin and leaving. You have no idea what would have happened if Belichick ended up the coach of the Jets. Maybe he would have drafted Brady to New York. That, though, was the bigger thing. He had Manning in his hands. He just had to tell Archie he was going to take him, and he didn't. That's as big of a what if in the history of sports. When you factor in all the players, the New York Jets, New York market, Peyton Manning, Bill Parsons. I mean, this is royalty. What that organization has become, what that organization could have been. I mean, you could have had Manning on the Jets for 15 years. And they had some good teams in that time. They had the Parcells team. They had the Rex Ryan, obviously. You know, they were good. A couple of years, they were good under Herm Edwards. They made the playoffs. They got some guys. They had, I mean, what an opportunity missed by Bill Parcells. Something that he, I mean, that would keep me up at night. That could have been, 
I mean, what a legacy he could have. He already has a legendary legacy in the NFL, but that could have been something unbelievably remarkable had that transpired. And to, to all you had to do was just make the assurance known. That's all you had to do. That's unreal that that unfolded the way it did. But all right, Nico, thanks, man. Thanks for your help. Great show. Um, thanks all the calls, emails. Um, we'll be back tomorrow. It's an abbreviated show, I believe. Is there Thursday Night Football? Are you back with me, Nico, or no? I believe Stiz is going to be in with Stiz, you tomorrow. Right. I think it's Thursday Night Football. Correct. So we're shorter tomorrow, but I'll be back uh, in for Rich. All right, have a good night. This is the Rich Keefe Show. I'm Mark Dondero, in for Rich on WEI.